This is The Healthy Sensitive, episode 24. Welcome everyone to episode 24 on The Healthy Sensitive. This is Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show. Uh, and I, you know, it's funny, I've been trying to get out there into the big bad world, big wide world, whatever, and try to better understand what kinds of topics that highly sensitive people are most interested in conversing about and or hearing a podcast about. And you'd be surprised how much time that ends up taking. I've gone out to meetup groups. I've tried to have conversations with people that I think relate to having sensitivity or who maybe know friends who identify as being highly sensitive. And it's surprising to me. You know, you look at books that are out and there's lots of stuff on introversion and there's a fair amount on that you know, for highly sensitive people. But so much of it really is about how to find your purpose, uh, how to feel comfortable with being highly sensitive or being an introvert or some combination thereof, how to find your place in the world, which hands down, incredibly important. And I know I write a lot of blogs on those kinds of topics, and I'm certainly fascinated by and am enthusiastic about them. But as a health coach, I can't help but wonder what keeps people back from their supposed highest purpose. And more often than not, it's often a systemic, like a physical ailment that can keep people away, at least for highly sensitives. I guess what I mean by that is, you know, it's it's a little difficult to have a conversation about your larger vision of what you want to do and achieve and bring to the world when you haven't gotten a decent night's sleep the night before. I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone were to ask me that question when I haven't had good sleep, uh, my only response would be, dear God, <laughs> I haven't slept a good night in a week. Why are we having a conversation about my biggest goals? My biggest goal right now is to have a proper relationship with the bed. That's all I want right now. That's all I'm dreaming about right now. <laughs> that is my greatest and highest life's purpose right now. So it makes sense to me, again, this is when you're when you have a hammer, every problem is a nail. And as a health coach, therefore, it's hard for me not to see health issues as being an important conversation to have. And I don't see any books about it. It's bizarre. I mean, you can find a book on IBS. You can find a book on insomnia. But there's nothing that specifically says to highly sensitive people, hey, you've got insomnia. I've got an answer for you. Um, there's nothing that says, oh, you know, diabetes? Uh, well, as a highly sensitive person, you might have specific strategies that work better for you than might work for others. And what's hard for me, I mean, in some ways that's great, it's a blessing, because as a health coach, this provides a space for me to come out and say, hey world, I might be able to help you with this. But I'm almost wondering, maybe the space is there because it's not a need, or I don't know. So here is me, on this podcast, uh, I'm going to start off by talking about what I perceive to be the top 10 complaints that highly sensitive people have with regard to their health. And I actually want to just ping pong it right back to you and really sort of figure out, you know, do these resonate with you? Are there others that I haven't 
gotten. I Again, I'm going to be posing a lot of questions toward the end, and I would really, really appreciate it if anybody could give me some feedback. Uh, you know, what would you like to hear more about uh, as a highly sensitive person and or introvert with regard to health and wellness? So let's get started. Um, number one, and just to be clear, this is not an order of importance. This is just a bullet point, a set of bullet points that I've sort of culminated. I don't necessarily see one being more important than the other. But number one that I hear a lot about is anxiety. Highly sensitive people, as I mention all the time, are extremely conscientious. They tend to be, when not balanced, perfectionistic. The upside to that you know, that combination of being com conscientious as well as perfectionistic frequently leads to external success. So they go to the office and they tend to be appreciated for their efforts. They uh, can work up the career ladder just fine because of their mm, gung-ho, go-getter, I'm going to get up that career ladder if it kills me attitude. In many cases, at least with those that I've spoken to and the clients that I've had, it's almost like a vendetta. It's like I, I've, my whole life as a sensitive person, I've been sort of told, oh, stop being so sensitive. Don't be a little, don't be a, don't be a nervous ninny. And so I'm trying to prove something to the world that I'm not a nervous ninny, damn it, and I'm capable. The problem is that it can lead to anxiety because if you overstimulate any body, any system, that's how it's going to be experienced. It's just overstimulation. So just to sort of back up a little bit here, a visual that I like to use is, you know, if you can imagine a spectrum. And let's imagine that this spectrum is 0 to 10. 0 is depression and 10 is anxiety, like you're having a panic attack. Most people, and I'm just using these numbers as an example, uh, they've got a wide window, so they can tolerate something as low as a 2 or a 3, and they can tolerate something as high as an 8. And they still get to sleep just fine, and they wake up in the morning fine, so long as they've got a cup of coffee. With highly sensitive people, more often than not, it's just that the window is a little bit narrower. So highly sensitive people, it, their window, instead of being capable of tolerating as high as an 8, it might be a 6 or a 7. So it's just, a, they reach overstimulation a little faster than the average bear. So anxiety is something that I hear a lot when talking to clients. It's, it's not anxiety necessarily in the sense of having a panic attack, but there's this constant humming of discomfort that's happening behind the scenes. That anxiety can lead over time to what naturopathic doctors would call adrenal fatigue, or if it goes on long enough, even westernized or mainstream medicine would call chronic fatigue syndrome. In other words, if you are constantly taxing your body and sort of making it endure more stimulation than it's comfortable with, your adrenal glands are responsible for pumping out the hormones to keep, that, to keep it up. So let's say you're in the office, the job that you have maybe might even be a job you really like, but it frequently puts you into that overstimulated realm that's uncomfortable. And you're managing, you're doing just fine, thank you very much. But in order to do just fine, your adrenal glands have to pump out adrenaline and cortisol. You are not gonna be quizzed on this, I promise. <laughs> but if you're constantly having to produce a slightly larger amount than the average person, or at least, you know, it's not that you have to produce it, but your body is producing more, 
at a certain point, your body's going to get fatigued. It's perpetually producing more than it should need under normal circumstances. So that can move you into a space where suddenly you're, you're, you're just exhausted. So those who identify as having like adrenal fatigue or maybe chronic fatigue syndrome will frequently report, you know, it's really tough to get out of bed in the morning. I'm not talking about general fatigue. I mean, the struggle is so real and no amount of coffee is going to make it better. Uh, and then right around 10 or 11 in the morning, you feel like, okay, I've got this. I'm starting to feel like a human. About three to four o'clock, you have a crash and you're exhausted. So naturally you go and you either get more coffee or a scone or something that's sugary and fluffy. And then you feel like you might have been able to hit this hit the, hit the hay and get some sleep about seven or eight o'clock. But if you push beyond it, suddenly around 10 or 11, you get a second wind. So this is sort of the indicative sort of patterning for people who have uh, adrenal fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome. If you keep that up, obviously, if you're staying up past 11, 12, 1 a.m. because all of a sudden your adrenal glands have decided to kick back in and then you have to get up at 5 or 6 in the morning the next morning every day, eventually this can lead to sleep disruption and potentially even insomnia. A lot of highly sensitive people I know are, have disrupted sleep. So on, in some capacity, they, they say that it's challenging to get to sleep with regularity or maybe they wake up in the middle of the night with relative frequency. So sleep is something I often hear from highly sensitive people uh, that is sensitive and that they've had to work hard to regulate. I know that that's true for myself because I know I, I reference that a lot. That's clearly from personal experience. And the challenge with that is, of course, you know, no one functions well without sleep. Highly sensitive people really don't do well without sleep. And you kind of have to think of highly sensitive people not as, you know, I think, again, I don't want to lend the impression that they're little sissies. They're not. It's, they're, they're kind of like smartphones. They've got a lot of functionality, uh, potentially, depending on the context, more functionality than the average person. They process very deeply. They look, they're able to integrate a lot of pattern, you know, things that they see around them with relative ease. Uh, they, they can read into people, generally speaking, very well. I mean, this isn't entirely universal, but it's something that I'm continuing to notice about those who I've met and who identify as being an HSP. If you're going to have that level of processing, just like with a smartphone relative to the standard flip phone, in case you don't have memory of that, those were the devices that you flipped open and did not have immediate access to the entire world's knowledge base. <laughs> um, but you'll remember, if you do, so very long ago, those little flip phones, you might have battery life for a couple of days. Your iPhone, your Droid, your whatever smartphone you've got, you're lucky if it gets through a whole day. Well, yeah, I mean... You've got something the size just just barely larger than the palm of your hand, and you've got Star Trek capacity to just randomly access any piece of information you might want to have. So most people are willing to give up that battery life for the level of capacity that the smartphone has. I'd like you to think of highly sensitive people as being more or less the same. They've got a lot of functionality. They're able to be incredibly efficient, very productive people, 
but they, more than anyone else, well, more than the average person, need sleep all the more to function as well the following day. If they don't, so again, you, you might start off with maybe having anxiety, overstimulation, that can lead to adrenal fatigue. Those patterns can make it increasingly challenging to get to sleep, which of course only exacerbates your anxiety and fatigue and misery. Cycle this through long enough and now you're in depression. So that's number four. Highly sensitive people seem to be more prone to depression. In part because of their physiology, but I think in part because, quite honestly, if you look at the world around you, it's not difficult to find reasons to be depressed. It's just not. The world has a lot of problems. It will probably always have challenges. More often than not, there's plenty to be grateful for. That doesn't mean there isn't plenty to be sad about. So depression can stem from all of these patterns that are on a physiological level. But, you know, one of my clients even mentioned to me that, you know, she was listening to the news and it was a mass shooting that she was overhearing information about. And she just felt, you know, for a week she could barely function. You know, she was going to work, she was going through the motions, but it was a real struggle to get through it all. And she said, I feel like I'm crazy. I feel like I'm absolutely crazy because no one around me seems to be feeling this way. And I can remember, and this is what I said to her at the time, and this is what I'm going to tell any of you who may be able to relate to that. Um, a politics professor of mine at, in college way back in when, oh, when I was a politics major, if you can believe it. <laughs> he said, you know, there are some people out there who feel really depressed about whatever, whatever it is that they're depressed about. And they're on antidepressants in order to stave that off. And he said, you know, maybe they're the normal ones. Maybe they're the intelligent ones. When you look around and you see how much hardship there is in the world, maybe there's good reason to be depressed. And maybe by feeding people antidepressants, we're just masking over what's real. I'm not qualified to make a true judgment about that one way or the other, but what I can say is that I find highly sensitive people are more prone to depression than the average person that I've met so far. Uh, the next realm of, you know, complaints that I hear, uh, digestive complaints. Highly sensitive people, again, they have a more sensitive nervous system. So it sort of makes sense when you consider that the brain-gut axis or connection or, you know, uh, let me put it this way, the brain and the gut talk to each other. It turns out the gut has just, I mean, a comparable amount of nerve endings to that which you might expect to be in the brain. I'm not trying to say that the gut is as intelligent as the brain. I don't really know. But what I will say is that they are intimately acquainted. So the more stressed we are, the more likely we are to have digestive complaints. This shouldn't be shocking to anyone, highly sensitive or not. If you've ever had to stand on a stage and make a speech to a group of people you might know the experience of feeling nervous and feeling it physically in your gut, feeling it as your stomach rumbles. So if you were to sort of expand that out on a daily basis, you know, I, I don't want to use this as quite this level of an extreme, but if, let's say that you're not someone who identifies as being highly sensitive, but you can identify with that experience. Like you get up on a stage and speak to people, that makes you feel nervous. 
Well, imagine if that level of discomfort were your experience every day. There are highly sensitive people who are navigating in the world and that's their normal. They're just used to being uncomfortable because they're living in a world that isn't built for them. I'm not suggesting we completely turn everything around and suddenly make it com you know, comfortable for highly sensitive people and not for those who are not. But what I am saying is it makes sense to me that highly sensitive people who prefer, as a rule, quiet solitude or at the very least a slower pace might have digestive complaints in an environment that requires them to be at a perpetual level of discomfort. Uh, the next one I hear quite frequently, weight management. Highly sensitive people, again, they have a more sensitive nervous system. It's not, you know, it's not voodoo magic. It's simply that they are overstimulated a little more easily. Again, they're processing more deeply. They take things in more robustly. So, ta-da! <laughs> like, that's what you end up with. A highly sensitive person, I don't know many highly sensitive people who take soft or hard drugs to mask it. Uh, part of the reason for that is uh, highly sensitive people's bodies are so sensitive. So there's almost a, a fear of, I think a healthy fear of, prescription medications or illegal drugs or you know anything that a standard person might use or experiment with to self-regulate. You know, most HSPs I know, you have a single serving of beer and <laughs> they're done for the night. Can you imagine giving them something as robust as a prescription medication for anxiety? Often they'll take it and they'll go, whoa, <laughs> that took me way to the other extreme. Now I feel kind of comatose. Food, therefore, is really a phenomenal regula regulatory, mm, I don't know what I would call it, substance, when you're talking about anxiety and depression. I mean, food is inherently nourishing. We need it to survive. And it works. It is a grounding substance. When most people eat, particularly foods that are high in carbohydrates and fat, there's a reason those foods are called comfort foods. They're comforting. They legitimately do produce hormones that are soothing to the system. So if you can imagine, you're pretty much perpetually uncomfortable. You feel always a little bit pushed outside of your comfort realm. You're trying to find a way to self-regulate because you'll be damned if you're going to be deemed a, 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 like a sissy or incapable of just manning up and getting the job done. You don't want to be seen as that person. Also, highly sensitive people are extremely conflict-avoidant. Uh, conflict so they're going to do everything they can to people-please and to get the job done and do it really well. Well, how are you going to do that if you're perpetually anxious? You eat gives you energy, it calms you down, it doesn't make you drunk, it doesn't make you feel incapacitated, it's perfect. The only problem is eating too often when you're not physically hungry and in need of that energy leads to weight gain. So then that puts a lot of these sensitive folks into the arena of wanting to lose weight because over time that too can feel uncomfortable. It, it weighs on the joints and it weighs on uh, the body in, in an uncomfortable way. Not to mention the fact that we live in a country that is extremely fat-phobic. So that doesn't help anyone. goes right back to that conflict avoidance. So weight management is another piece that often comes up. I'm also a facilitator in weight management. When I'm not busy doing individual coaching, I'm also doing facilitation in groups. 
So that might just be my personal lens. Maybe I'm, I'm getting a sort of um, selective group that isn't actually representative of the population at large. I'm not really sure, but I've noticed enough of it to comment on it. Next one, food sensitivities and allergens. So a lot of highly sensitive people I know tend to have, uh, you know, gluten intolerances or sensitivities, uh, challenges with dairy or challenges with some oddball food. I mean, I think one person I met was allergic to strawberries, which, you know, bummer. But at any rate, because you have a more sensitive system, it makes sense to me that there might be more allergens. Next one, hypertension. This shouldn't be a shocker at all. Most sensitive folks, they, they, this isn't so common uh, for young, highly sensitive people, only because they, it hasn't been a pattern that has been in place long enough to experience the long-term results that you would see. Like Most of those who have hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, tend to be a bit older just because their bodies have been exposed to that degree of discomfort longer. It's really... Uh, indicative, well, I don't know if I should even, it's a great window into just how resilient the human body is. Highly sensitive people, even with the degree of sensitivity that their bodies have, don't really experience some of these long-term aggravations like hypertension until later in life, which goes to show you the body is capable of sustaining high levels of discomfort for a high, pretty long period of time. That's great, but once you have hypertension, it takes a fairly long time to then reverse it. So why would someone with uh, sensitivities have hypertension? Well, they're stressed out. <laughs> like I don't. Basically, when your body is stressed and that stress is experienced as negative stress, you produce more adrenaline and more cortisol. Your, blood, your arteries might constrict, so then that creates high blood pressure. You've got more blood flow pumping out at the very same time that your arteries are constricting. Think of it like a hose, and you're squeezing it and making the pressure build up. Next one, blood sugar imbalances. I don't know if you've met a highly sensitive person, but if you have, you probably know to feed them regularly. They are the opposite of, not gerbils, Gremlins? Yes, they're the opposite of gremlins. They want to be fed. If they're up at midnight, feed them, damn it. <laughs> Do not want them hangry. Part of the reason for that is that they tend to be very, uh, I was about to say sugar sensitive. They're insulin sensitive. As young people, they tend to be on the low end of normal in the spectrum of blood sugar. And then because their bodies are so sensitive to insulin, if they don't manage that well, they can actually leap over to or hyperglycemia, so uh, diabetes and the like. Basically, just think of it this way. Highly sensitive people need to be especially uh, careful with their blood sugar. And then finally, number 10, frequent random infections. So I, I'm sort of making this a miscellaneous group. Here's what I've noticed about highly sensitive people. If they are managing themselves, if they're managing their stress, if they're eating relatively nourishing food at regular, at, with relative regularity, and they're getting good sleep, they tend to be some of the healthiest people I know. They're the ones who never call in sick. They're the ones who show up at work on time. They're great. The minute that that's derailed, so take away their sleep for a few days, 
uh, take away their meditation practice, take away their ability to go to the gym, whatever, whatever their regulatory practices are, they get sick very easily. So the upside to being highly sensitive, when you're taking good care of yourself, you almost never get sick. You're the one who in an office filled with people who are sick can just sort of breeze right on through and your immune system is fairly strong. I think part of the reason behind this is that highly sensitive people, more than the average person, are able to detect these subtle imbalances. So HSPs tend to note and detect when they're a little bit uh, dehydrated. So they know to drink water sooner than someone else might know to. They know when their bodies need things. So it's generally the case that when a highly sensitive, like when someone says, I can't explain it, I feel like I'm just craving salmon. Often those are HSPs, not always, but there's something about that sensitive nervous system that they're able to kind of key into the subtleties, dial it in really well and sort of say, I think I need this. And I wouldn't be able to tell you why, but I just do. And then they listen to that. And because of their ability to detect imbalances so much sooner than the average person, they're able to sort of keep their system regulated more, you know, at a better level. But once again, kick that out of motion, deprive them of sleep, deprive them of the water, deprive, take all of those regulatory functions away from them in their environment or whatever, and they're going to get sick so fast. So then suddenly they're the ones that are sick when no one else in the office is. No one knows how you picked up whatever it was that you picked up. What the hell do you mean you have Bell's palsy? How do you even contract Bell's palsy at the age of 12? What's going on with you? These are your highly sensitive people. So they'll it's, they get frequent random infections that are seemingly inexplicable. And it's usually when they've been deprived of their regulatory behaviors, systems, what have you. So these are the top 10 things that I'm seeing as a health coach when speaking with highly sensitive people. But I actually am not sure if I am accumulate if my knowledge is correct or if this is just my very small slice of reality. So I'd love to hear from you. If you have a minute and you want to send me a note, uh, you can you know, go to my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com, and you can send me a comment. Uh, you can send me a comment directly through the podcast, so just sort of contact me through there. You can also email me directly at, at leahburkhart360 at gmail.com uh, or leahburkhart at thehealthysensitive.com. So, you know, you can contact me. The easiest way is probably through my website just because you can say contact and then you don't have to worry about, you know, did I type the email correctly or whatever? And then that gets to me and I see directly that it was from a highly sensitive person or person who's coming through my website. So once again, that's www.thehealthysensitive.com. Uh, I also have a, face up, a Facebook group if you're interested in joining in with us. And I'm going to be putting this podcast in my Facebook group and sort of asking questions. I have a survey monkey going out. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I'm putting all of this out there because I want to hear from you. And as I'm producing content, I'm getting to the place now where I, I'm not exactly sure if the content I'm putting out is applicable or if I'm not hitting the mark or I'm finally realizing perhaps the best way for me to figure that information out would be to ask. <laughs> so would appreciate any uh, feedback you could give me or guidance and uh, the like. So 
Anyway, uh, looking forward to hearing from you next week. I will be uploading another podcast and we'll talk a bit more about health challenges. I'll be using any feedback I get from all of you to sort of craft something that is uh, most helpful for you. Take good care and have a wonderful day.